I don't know if you have gone through some difficulties in your life and you are tempted to think that the enemy is winning. I don't know about you, but sometimes I am tempted to think that the enemy is winning. Sometimes it appears to me that uh, the forces of darkness are overcoming the light. And I know that in John chapter 1, verse 5, we are told that uh, light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, but For example, uh, my brother who was a drug addict and uh, we tried everything that we could to help him and then in 2018 he was killed. And I remember that morning, it was about two in the morning here and one of my brothers called me and told me Victor is being killed right now. And I woke up and sat on the bed beside my wife. And I felt like the enemy was winning. And when you look at your your life and maybe you're going through some challenges, either sickness, you pray, you go to the doctors, and you come back, you take this prescription after this prescription, and it doesn't get any better. And you are, when you are seated alone and you are thinking, it is easy to feel like the forces of darkness are overcoming the light. It's the same when you look at your children, your grandchildren, and there is no, it's as if there is no hope for them as far as their relationship with Christ is concerned. And it is easy for a Christian to be tempted to think that the enemy is winning. Or when you look at your, your marriage, and maybe as a Christian, you are trying all you can. And still, it's not working out. It is easy to be tempted to think that the enemy is willing. And so, as a Christian, as someone that believes in Jesus Christ, a child of God, what do you do when it appears as if the enemy is willing? How do you respond to that?
And I think this text today will help us answer that question. Paul is in Ephesus. And the first thing he does, he goes to a synagogue because his goal is to reach out to his fellow Jews. And he goes to a synagogue to reason with them. He does that, we are told, for three months. And for those three months, there are some who believe, but we are told others become obstinate, stubborn. Like, this means they deliberately choose not to believe. They listen to him. He reasons with them, trying to persuade them. But they make a choice not to believe. For three months. And they don't only believe, uh, they don't only refuse to believe, they malign his message. They start speaking against salvation. They don't just want to refuse his message, they want others to reject his message as well. And so if you are Paul, and you know that your desire is to help these people, you know that you are obeying God by pointing them to Christ, the Messiah, and they are deliberately choosing not to believe, you may be tempted to think that the enemy is winning. You may be tempted to want to give up. And there are Christians that have given up. I am a pastor and I'm telling you there are things and moments and experiences in my life that have tempted me to think that the enemy is winning. And so, what does Paul do, even though he may be tempted to feel or think that the enemy is winning? The dark forces are winning. We are told that Paul left them. In verse 9, he left them. He took the disciples with him and had, a dis had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So Paul is in Ephesus. Ephesus is a dark city. It is famous for magic, witchcraft, and crime. There is a temple there. In fact, it's one of the, the, the wonders uh, uh, 
seven wonders of the ancient world. It's in Ephesus. Asia Minor, this is the modern Turkey. It's known for its darkness. Paul, in fact, he says in, in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 12, he says to the Ephesians, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He acknowledges, he understands, he knows that he is not fighting flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces. And so he, he takes those who believe, he goes and rent a place, and he begins to teach them there, to disciple them there. Paul refuses to surrender to the forces of darkness. He refuses to allow the enemy to take over. He continues with the mission. And he trains these people for two years. He spends time with them for two years. It went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia had the word of the Lord. That means those who believed, who were being trained, went out and spread the word so that everyone heard about it. It doesn't mean everyone believed, but they had the message. And you know, this is important for us because when we share the faith that we have with others, they may believe or not, but our responsibility is to share. Our responsibility is not to make someone believe, it is to let them know. Believing is a choice they must make. But sharing is a choice that we must make. And by the way, refusing to believe is sin. It is the sin of disobedience. Because we saw in Acts 17 verse 30, God is commanding all people to repent. You cannot repent if you don't believe. And therefore, if you refuse to believe, you are refusing to repent. And when you refuse to repent, you are disobeying God. It is a sin of disobedience. But our responsibility as believers, children of God... Those that have experienced his faith, his forgiveness, his salvation. Our responsibility is to speak. 
It is to share our faith. It is to share God's word. And these believers that Paul trains seems to have done just that. What do you do when the enemy appear to be winning? And you know, when you look at our society, there's a society that, is, that attempts to erase the line between right and wrong. A society that are, exalts evil and tries to silence those that want to exalt God. And so if you look around in your society, if you look around at our culture, oh yeah, it seems like the enemy is winning because almost everything that is evil that is being promoted seems to be taking off. But how about in our own lives? You look at our Christians today, the divorce rate is the same with uh, those who are not Christians, the enemy seems to be winning. The enemy appears to be winning when you are going through difficulties and you cannot share how you feel with your loved ones. When you sleep on your bed with agony and distress, or when you sink in the pit of depression, the enemy appear to be winning. When you go to the doctor and on your way back, you know that you will return again. The enemy appear to be winning. When you are going through conflicts in your relationship and you're trying to solve them, but you know even after this, something is going to come up. And it's, it's a relationship that instead of bringing peace and joy, brings pain. And when it goes on and on and on, it may appear as if the enemy is winning. And as a pastor too, when I... I look at Christians and uh, we believe that we try our best to preach God's word. But you look at Christians and they don't seem to be growing in their spiritual lives. You can't help but think the enemy is winning. The enemy is winning when we come to church 
but there is no worship in our hearts. The enemy appears to be winning when we know that we need to forgive and yet we are holding on to that bitterness, that anger, that pain. The enemy appears to be winning when we know that we are supposed to submit to the Lord. We are supposed to let him take over our lives so that we can be what he wants us to be. And yet we are still stubborn. We are obstinate. We refuse to believe. The enemy appears to be winning when believers... refuse to believe what they claim to believe. I know for the deacons, sometimes our deacons are tempted to think the enemy is winning when they prepare the budget for the church and then they look at the giving and it doesn't match and they can't help but ask, is the enemy And Paul finds himself in a situation where the enemy appears to be winning, but he refuses to bow down. He refuses to give up. He refuses to submit to the enemy. And therefore, he goes and he starts training people. He continues with his mission. And then listen to what God does. If you look at verse 11, we are told God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured. And listen to this, the evil spirits left them. Handkerchiefs are used to wipe the sweat. You, in America, you don't use handkerchiefs. We use them in Kenya. Here you use paper towel and tissues. We use handkerchief in Kenya. You wash it, you use it again. You wash it, you use it again. So God here... Because Paul has remained faithful to the call. He has not submitted to the forces of evil in Ephesus. God shows himself strong on Paul's behalf. Such that the clothings that touch him, including the hankies and the aprons, when they are taken to the sick, and this means that people bring their handkerchiefs, when they are taken to the sick, those sick people are healed, and the evil spirit, those that are possessed, the evil spirit leaves them. God is displaying his power in a city that believes in the power of the enemy. 
And God is famous for doing that. He did that in Egypt. Because they believed in other gods who had some powers. And the first time Moses went and, and dropped his staff and it turned into a snake, Pharaoh called his magicians and told them, do you see what he has done? And they dropped theirs too, and they turned into snakes. And God was looking and he said, okay, I see you can do it. But I'm going to show you who is more powerful. And then the snake, Moses' snake began to swallow Pharaoh's snake. And God continued to show Pharaoh everything he was doing. He was showing Pharaoh that I am more powerful than your gods. And that's what God is doing here. He's showing the people of Ephesus that I am more powerful than the forces of evil. And he uses things here, miracles, signs to show that through Paul. And by doing that, he is giving strength. He's authenticating the message that Paul is proclaiming. That's what he's doing. He's saying, this is my servant. What he's saying is what I want him to say. And because of that, this is what I am doing. And the Ephesus people are seeing that. So the question that people ask, and I know there are several theological positions on this, on this. People who think that God no longer does miracles. I've been asked that question several times. Do you believe that God still does miracles? Oh, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> My answer is yes. I know there are people who say miracles stopped when we received the Bible. But I don't think God stopped being God. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, he says that he does not change. In Hebrews 13 verse 8, he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I cannot make God do what I want him to do. And some of us really don't need miracles, but it is God's prerogative to do what he wants to do. It's up to him to choose how he wants to display his power. 
and he can do that whichever way he wants. And just because he may not have done it to you, it doesn't mean that he cannot do it. You see, there was an atheist that called upon God. He, he called people and said, I'm going to prove to you that God does not exist. And he gathered a lot of people. And he said, I will prove to you that he doesn't exist. And when people came to hear him, he said, God, if you are there, I give you one minute to strike me down. And some believers who were there started praying, please God, do it. Please do it. <laughs> and this guy stood there. The clock was ticking. And after six, 60 seconds, he said, you see, there is no God. And one pastor who was there told him, do you think you can exhaust God's patience in one minute? Give him time. He will do it. See, sometimes... God allows us to go on not because he cannot deal with us but because he desires that we come back to our senses. I believe that God still does miracles and he does it in his own way. So when God displays his power, the enemy also decides to display his power. You look at verse 24. In verse In verse 13, sorry. <laughs> Where is verse 24? I'm looking at chapter 18. In verse, sorry for that. In verse 13, from verse 13 to 16, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And listen to this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. So this is the evil spirit confessing. We know Jesus. I know Jesus. And Paul, I know. 
But who are you? See, you are in a very dangerous spot when even the evil spirits don't know you. <laughs> These sons of Siva are trying to use the name of a Jesus they don't have a relationship with. And the enemy knows that. I think this is one of the funniest, most humorous texts in the Bible. It says, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Can you imagine that? What happened to you? See, even the enemy knew that they were pretending. Even though, by pretending, they are on his side. The enemy should have known these are, they are with us. But even knowing that, he still gave them a beating. Satan tortures his own. Jesus, I know. Here the evil spirit is confessing not only his understanding, but his knowledge of Jesus Christ and his servant Paul. In other words, the evil spirit is saying, if you are Jesus, I would have listened to you. But you are not. Who are you? That I should listen to you. If you are Paul, I would have run away. But who are you? And the enemy displayed his power by giving them such a beating that they had to run out naked and bleeding. And when people heard this, because this is a story worthy telling about, talking about. Everyone was probably talking about it. And when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held high, was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. God is winning. God is winning. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma is a wages, a day, uh, a day wage. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. God is winning in a place where the enemy seemed to be winning. So what do you do when the enemy 
appear to be winning. I'm glad you asked. Remain faithful to the Lord. Because the enemy's goal is to stop you from being faithful. His goal is to make you doubt God's faithfulness. His goal is to make you lose your patience. His goal is for you to surrender to him. His goal is for you to think that no matter what you do, he will still win. And this text tells us here that God will always win. He will always win. And if that is the case, then it should be our desire to remain faithful. Because Satan seeks to destroy, but God seeks to restore. He wants to forgive us. He wants to restore us to the path of righteousness. He wants to restore our relationships. He wants to restore everything that will make us more like Jesus Christ. The lies of the enemy will want to keep you in bondage. He'll want you to think that this can never change. He will want you to think that you will never, never win. But sometimes God displays his power when it is dark. You know, when Jesus was born... It was dark. When Paul and Silas were put in prison, it was dark. When they praised the Lord at midnight, and the Lord displayed his power by shaking the foundation of the prisons and setting them free, it was dark. Sometimes he chooses to to do his extraordinary work when it is dark. And when we, we are tempted to think that the enemy is winning, our desire has to be to remain faithful to the Lord. Our desire has to be to want to trust God because only God can triumph over darkness. Only God can take darkness and overcome it with his light. Only God can take a broken relationship and bring it back together. Only God can take a bad person and turn him or her into a good person. Only God can take a hardened heart and soften it. Only God can come to your life and give you the peace that you need. Only God can take a bad situation 
and turn it into good. And I know as a believer, even though you know that all things work together for good, there are moments that you are tempted to think and see it's as if all things are not working together for good. There are those moments, some of us are going through those moments, some of us are coming from those moments, and some of us will go through those moments where you will be tempted to think that the enemy is losing, and you will start taking steps backward. You'll start avoiding going to church. You'll start avoiding prayer meetings. You'll start avoiding the Bible studies. You'll stop praying. You'll stop reading your Bible. But I am here to remind you in advance that when you find yourself facing that temptation, your desire should be to remain faithful because God will always win. It may seem like the enemy is winning, but God will always win. And I can go on and on on this. Let me just finish with this illustration from the Bible. When Goliath and the armies, the Philistine army, were facing the Israelites, the king, who was supposed to lead the fight, was trembling. The king was seated under a tree, afraid. He's supposed to be fighting. He went and sat under a tree. The soldiers who are trained, they're supposed to be fighting. They believe in God. They were down. They were all trembling. And Goliath is standing there and his soldiers, he is insulting them and threatening them. And they are shaking with their swords and spears. It seemed as if the enemy was winning. Until David came, a young boy, untrained soldier. He didn't have any experience. And yet he looked at Goliath and he said, you come to me with sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And David said, today the Lord will give you to me and I will kill you. I will cut off your head for the battle belongs to the Lord. God will always win. Do not give in to the enemy. He will lose. If Jesus is not your savior, you are on the losing side. 
but it's not too late to be on the winning side. You can turn to the Lord right now. You can ask him to forgive you and to save you. And you will be on the winning side. Because God always wins. Father, I 